83, we 15 at conference, we 15 at districts. No one's beating that 83 team. There's just no way, okay? And that was the year we were number one in the nation. I started off varsity, but I ended up on JV because we were so packed. If you look at that picture, it looks like the perfect race. Welcome to All the Miles Matter, episode 10. This is Neil Amato. And what you just heard was an acoustic version of the song that was the first music video ever played on MTV. That video was played when the cable network launched August 1st, 1981. The original artist was The Buggles. Now, yes, MTV launched in 1981, 8181. That doesn't mean everyone saw the video right then because not many people had cable TV. But that date represents a cultural shift. It wasn't the only thing going on at the time that was changing. Kids had more options. They had more entertainment options. They had ESPN, the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, on cable TV. They had club soccer. They had video games. They had Atari at home, or they had Pac-Man and other games in the arcade. Where I'm going with this is ESPN and MTV are two reasons for kids not to go outside. The same with Atari or the arcade. Suddenly doing summer mileage, something that's very much not about immediate gratification, didn't seem as fun or as worth it. It's just a drive, a self-motivation drive. You're out on roads, you got to be self-motivated to run some days. You go out for a 10, 15-mile run, what are you thinking about? Back then, nobody had earbuds and stuff like that. So you're not listening to music. You're either talking to your fellow runner with you, or if you're by yourself, you're kind of in la-la land. (laughs) That was Largo's Tim Marion. His teammate, Chris Palmer, explains the grind that is cross-country well, and how society's changes overall have made it tougher to build the kind of teams Largo and Lado built. Palmer was a senior for Largo in the 1983 season. If you really look at what the sport is, it's pretty boring. I know that probably irritates the people who love running, but when it comes down to it, it's a grind. It's an endurance event. You spend a lot of time doing things that don't have a lot of joy built into them. 10-mile runs by yourself sometimes. You're running in the Florida heat, that kind of thing. There's way more joyous things to do in the world. You could play football. You could play baseball. and People adore you. People are interested in what you're doing. Except for a handful of people who truly love to run, most other people on the Largo team, decades full of these guys, Really, the reason they ran was because of what they got special from being part of that team. To trying something as non-glamorous as running, to be able to get into a program and make it work and give all the blood and sweat and effort that you really need to give to be great at it. And if you're not running 500 miles in the summer, you're probably not going to be very good unless you're amazingly talented. And most of us ran 750 to 1,000 miles over the summer, and it's a mostly solitary kind of thing. I think the work versus reward of cross-country running lost some of its appeal. The guys who were the most successful, the guys who were part of that program, they saw the value proposition as being exceptional. Guys like me, guys like the Marians, guys like the McQuilkins, these brother teams who saw this thing. that You became part of something that was remarkably special. There is a tremendous amount of work that went into that for not a lot of the rewards that people like to get in their lives. Frankly, it's a lot more fun to play video games. It's a lot more fun to, as Coach Haley might say, 
hanging out with the damsels at the beach, you know, that kind of thing. I think immediate gratification has definitely been a trend of recent decades. And the more easy it is to acquire gratification, it almost takes away any appeal of something that takes so much more work to get gratification. I mean, I played Pong when I was a kid. It's one of the first video games. And I went to the arcade and had to pay 25 cents at a time to be able to play Pac-Man or Missile Command. And I see some of the stuff my kids have. I'm surprised they ever leave the room. The worlds they have are so immersive online, complete access to all their friends. They can talk to them. They can have all those great things that we had to go to practice to get. I had to go to practice to meet with my friends and hang out with them. And all the stuff is much easier to get to. I fully believe that's a giant shift. The cover photo for this show is from 1983. That photo captured, I think, a key moment in understanding this story. It's Largo's Perfect 15 in the conference meet at Crescent Lake in St. Pete. A perfect 15 in cross-country again, low-score wins, and if you finish 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, those point totals add up to 15. What made this 15 so amazing, though, was that all five Largo runners finished at the same time. Five of us coming to the finish line side by side. From the left, you got John Brennan, then Tim Marion, which is me, Kurt Backman, Carl Moeller, and Chris Palmer. I think that day was such an amazing surprise. That day brought us together because Tim Marion just ran out of his mind. He was heroic that day. Seeing that was so inspirational. If you look at that picture, you look at us all running, you see Carl looking over, you see Kurt looking over. and We were all going nuts, yelling for Tim. It was the kind of race that looks like the perfect race. He gave everything he had, and he didn't have to. We were going to win. We had four guys that would be in the top four. We knew that going in. But having a fifth guy and having us be able to go together and having him show up out of nowhere, it's like this amazing boost and this amazing combination of not just we're going to win, but we're a team and we care about each other. Tim Russell was a runner for Largo in that era. He was not in the top five. That day, he bounced back and forth between the JV and the varsity because, quite frankly, the competition was stiff. He went on to coach distance runners at Northeast High in St. Pete, and they're aware of some of the times Tim Russell ran. One of the kids literally, after a workout, he's just laying there, and he's like, Coach, I don't, because they all know what I ran. They're like, how could you possibly be three minutes faster than me in a race? And I said, Jay, here's the deal. I didn't have a TV in my house until I was like ninth grade. Okay? There's no internet. There's no phone. There's no nothing. You ran or you did chores. I didn't like doing chores. If somewhere a kid like me back in the 80s got dropped into this team right now, things would change. It would create a little competition. 1983, Largo Invitational, track invitation. We had 24 boys break five minutes for the mile. When I told Jay that, he's like, you didn't have a TV? I'm like, no, not until ninth grade. And it was, there was only one, and it was my dad's. Whatever he was watching is what we were watching. There was nothing else to do. You know, you couldn't sit in the house and listen to records because dad wouldn't turn the air conditioning on. It was hot as balls. So, you know, when they kicked you out of the house early in the day and you weren't allowed to come back until the lights came on on the street. If we weren't running, we were playing sandlot football or we were down at Indian Rocks Beach and we would go down there and skimboard literally for eight hours. Before he started cross country, Russell had a decision to make. The Largo Band of Gold or running for Coach Haley? If you remember back then, the Band of Gold was a big deal. I mean, they were world champions. I was recruited by the Band of Gold because I was E-flat, French horn, trumpet, and jazz guitar. And I went to the summer practices for Band of Gold. Russell was told he had to adhere to certain band rules. That made the decision 
a lot easier. Not only could I not run, but I had to wear pants every day and had to cut my hair. And that was unpopular. Oh, yes. We have a dress code. We have a conduct code. And the discipline is very rigid. And to be in the band, you, you must adhere to all those rules. More about the 1983 Largo cross-country team. You heard the voice of Rodney Boatwright in the intro clips to this episode saying he was a varsity runner but then bumped to JV. That's true. Rodney Boatwright ran in the 1982 state meet for the Packers, but in 1983 he was not on the varsity. And here's why. Largo added two high-quality transfers, and the Packers were just downright dominant. Now, there are a couple of reasons for that. Yes, it was the talent they brought in, but also Lato, from its 1982 team, had lost a lot to graduation. However, this Largo team would have been tough for anyone to beat. Not only did they have Palmer, who set the 5K school record for Largo, a record he still holds, running a time of 15.03 at the Florida State Invitational, Chris Palmer was one of the best runners Largo's ever had. He would go on to run at Troy State. Kurt Backman was a state champion, not at the 4A level, but as a junior at Buholz High in Gainesville, won the 3A state title in the mile on the track, and then his family moved to Largo before his senior year. So the Packers have Chris Palmer, Kurt Backman, John Brennan, Carl Moeller. Largo also added Seminole transfer Matt Farnan, They had the Marion brothers. They had Tim Russell. They also had Rodney Boatwright. They had a boatload of talent. In two different polls, I guess you would say, the Packers were ranked first or tied for first in the nation. One of those was an after-the-fact ranking in which the website MileSplit analyzed results over the full season and declared Mandan High School in North Dakota the co-national champion with Largo. How you can compare two schools from different states in that era when they never ran against each other or never ran even against common opponents is beyond me, but Largo was co-national champions. Also that season, they were ranked number one. That was based on their times in a postal meet. Now what a postal is, it was a two-mile race on the track. You recorded all the times, and then you mailed them in. That's why it was called a postal meet. The organizing body took all the times that were mailed in from these races and could determine who was the best based on the total time. Here's a Rodney Boatwright story about Palmer dueling with Backman in one of those postal races. We were in Lado, and they had that hard track. And I don't know who told Chris Palmer to wear spikes. He was probably feeling the pressure from Kurt, and he wanted to have an advantage over him. Running two miles on that hard track, all you heard when Chris Palmer came by was, <laughs> and Kurt Backman was right behind him. And no matter how many moves Kurt Backman tried to put on Chris Palmer, he found a way to, to dig those spikes in, <laughs> and he won it. Chris ran a 9.13, and Kurt ran a 9.15 or something like that. Largo was dominant in 1983. They won the region meet with 17 points, and while they didn't run as well in the state meet, the Packers were undefeated state champs. It's the summer of 1984, the LA Olympics are ongoing, and Largo and Lado are continuing an annual tradition, driving east on Interstate 4 to Orlando to visit the water park Wet n Wild. Lado's Matt Heiser is talking about a late night idea hatched by the Packers and the Long Red Row. 
You'll also hear Kelly Haley, Coach Haley's daughter, Tim Marion, and of course, Coach Haley and Coach Ennis. Yeah, so Wet and Wild, it had been part of the staple of Leto and Largo getting together over the summer. We did basically a dual meet in Orlando. That part of it was on a Friday night. We stayed over in Orlando, and the next day, the reward for it was we went to Wet and Wild. Well, we had run the race, and then we went back to the hotel room. You get a couple of high school guys together, and Coach Ennis had probably come under the idea, well, last year and the year before, I had guys that basically took care of themselves. That was not the case with our group. We got an idea we were going to go out and go for a run. Well, in the process of doing so, we said, well, we're just going to go pool hopping. You know, there are plenty of pools to jump in and hotels. So we're going pool hopping. Eventually, we get into a couple of these pools and the manager comes out and he's like, we're going to call the cops. And oh, you're not going to call the cops. And we keep going. And sure enough, we get close to the entrance of Wet and Wild. And now we weren't going to go into Wet and Wild. That was never a plan. But around the corner comes, I don't know, there was maybe three or four cop cars, and they're all surrounding us. They brought us back to the hotel. Then we had to explain to Coach Ennis and Helen, who, I don't remember correctly, I think she was pregnant at the time. Oh, Allison. yes, she was. <laughs> My mom's like, oh, I remember looking over the balcony with Helen ready to pop any second with all these cop cars with all the kids. Do you have any idea like about how many people it was? jumping in the pools at least eight or nine of us for sure tom garner was there myself i know moody and smith were there christiani was there oh see and you're just counting the lado guys i don't even know how many largo guys there were we we're just all bunch of guys running around i figured marion was taking care of his guys that was my senior season and we had all decided nobody was sleeping we got up and said let's go for a run probably about 15 of us doing that old lovely fun pool hopping you know stuff kids do one pool we jumped in, when I jumped out of the pool, I was face-to-face -face with the security guard sitting in a chair. Maybe 1.30 in the morning when my phone rang, and it was Coach Haley. He said he had just gotten a call from the, uh, the Orlando police. Well, we were pretty upset because like 2.30 in the morning, they were supposed to be in bed. There were probably about 20 shirtless teenagers sitting on the curb with their heads down. I mentioned in episode six that Coach Ennis had kind of a big brother relationship with some of those runners, even though he saw some of himself in those guys who decided to go pool hopping. He took more of a fatherly approach when deciding on the punishment. When we woke up fairly early, I was still pretty upset. So on Saturday morning, instead of going to Wet n Wild, the Long Red Row went home. Turned out to be a good decision, as you know. <laughs> We ate breakfast, loaded up, and headed back to Tampa. Then I guess it was later that day, Helen entered the, the hospital, and then Allison was born. To end that season, Matt Heiser and his pool-hopping teammates were back in the good graces of Coach Ennis. The Long Red Row won the 1984 state title. Largo finished second. The Lado girls also won their second consecutive team championship, and that 1984 meet is the only time in Florida history that a 4A school won boys' and girls' titles in the same season. In the boys' individual race, a sophomore from Pinellas County finished second by four seconds. His name, Roger Letchworth.